Welcome to Jaipur Dialogue USA. Hello, viewers. Uh, namaste. Today, we are going to talk about a very vital issue, <clears throat> climate change. We have seen in the recent past that the Paris Accord, the global leaders have met, and then there was a major conversation on this issue, followed by a COP26 meeting in, in uh, London. Now, point of the matter here is very simple. It has been called as an existential threat. It, is, it has been going on for a very long time when the first ever time Vice President Al Gore had talked about it, the, the inconvenient truth. How real is the issue? What is the politics and economics of it? So ever since Al Gore talked about it, it has been many years down the line. Expecting the world to come to a conclusion on these matters is remarkable. But I only wish one thing. And sometimes as a layman, the thought comes to your mind <laughs> that if the world had a population of 4 billion today as against 8 billion today, as we know, would we still be talking about this issue? What is the root cause of the problem? Why this problem has become an existential issue? To what extent the economics of it determines the argument? And to what extent politics is playing the game? Let's talk about this. But before that, I urge all of you to subscribe, like, and share. Encourage us, support us, because we are carrying an important message forward. To discuss this issue, I have the great pleasure in welcoming Mr. K. Siddharth. He's a strategic thinker, analyst, trainer, has groomed many bureaucrats and others in India, and has been very active on this climate issue for a very long time. And along with him, great pleasure in welcoming Ambassador Pradeep Kapoorji in Washington, D.C. here. Awesome. Thanks to Technologies Marvel, <laughs> New Delhi, Washington, D.C., and New York, we are all together talking live. <clears throat> so let's shoot off on this issue. And uh, since you are the uh, you know, climate expert, uh, Siddharthji, tell me, is my assumption wrong? And I believe in Einstein's one particular quote, that any intelligent fool can complicate a simple problem. It takes courage to move in the other direction. So what exactly, and I said that, that if the, if the world population were only 4 billion today, would Mother Earth's resources be more conserved? Would the world be talking about this issue? What is it at the root of the climate change? The depletion on Earth's finite resources or infinite resources? The pollution of it. Your thoughts. Thank you. Thank you for uh, having me on the show. It's a privilege and an honor to be talking to my esteemed anchor as well as Ambassador uh, Pratip Kapoor. Well, to begin with, uh, talking about Einstein's equation, it is indeed very, very simple. It is actually true wisdom in uh, simplifying any solution. Everything that we have been doing with respect to so-called climatic change is complicating the process, eh? completing the sol solution. Eh? Because eh, the solutions are very simple, but then we tend to look in other direction. It's eh, about dual objectivity. The objective is something else. We are talking about something else. That's number one. To be simple in this case. 
question is that if you actually think that it, there is any simplicity in the solution to this problem, that it is simple, very brief, taking simple. All the carbon dioxide will go on to sink into the earth if you allow the rains to take place. H2O will combine with CO2, it will go on to form H2CO3, and that will be fixed in the soil. As simple as that. You don't have to do anything at all. You just have to control the emission. And you are not able to control the emission because you want to maintain the status quo that you are rich. And being rich, you have to follow the Western lifestyle, a consumerist economy that you have to consume a lot. That is what is meant by richness. That is what we mean by happiness. That is what is meant by power. That is what is meant by de development, of course, eh, not growth. Eh, in this case, that we're going to talk about it. Eh. And that is what is meant eh, by trying to control the whole of the earth. That's the second part associated with it. The third part is eh, about eh, intellectual colonialism. It's about intellectual domination. That sometime back, 30 years back, eh, you used to say that I have pictures of NASA, I have pictures of this satellite, eh, and that show that. Eh, Ozone hole is going to be very, very large, eh? and that it will going to become large enough to encompass the whole of Australia. And after 30, 40 years, eh, we're going to see that the ozone hole, the issue is secondary, despite the fact eh, that we may not have done enough for the purpose of controlling the ozone eh, in eh, the atmosphere. Because eh, every chlorofluorocarbon eh, becomes active only after something like some 25 years of a time. So what was there 25 years of time, its result should be fed, it should be felt right now. So there is something that is nefarious in this case. There is something that is designed also in this case. The fourth part is coming to this aspect. That is, we have actually mixed climate and politics. The politics is that we don't want to invest in something which for which we are responsible. I'm talking about the Western countries. They are the one who are responsible because eh, all the carbon dioxide that has been emitted some 200 years back eh, that still finds itself into the atmosphere. And the warming is because of it, not because of India, not because of China, not because of any other country. It is because of eh, the, the unsustainable industrial revolution model followed by the Western countries, eh, which was eh, based on complete disregard to sustainability complete disregard to the pollution aspect, complete disregard to the resource management, and complete disregard to the people. It is a completely people-centric approach. The moment you're going to turn into an eco-centric approach, the problem is like, it's as simple. Like even it's like going to be a child's play in this case. So there have been various issues that have been mixed. Climate has been mixed. The definition of climatic change has been mixed. Intellectual colonialism has got mixed. Politics has got mixed. And you also don't want to assist the countries because climatic change can go on to be very good business. Because the moment you're going to shift the focus from oil to solar energy, then all of a sudden a new market will be emerging. It's market that has also got itself mixed. It's all in all a very complicated issue because of the reasons, because of the intentions, because of the motives. The solution is still very simple. Uh, that's very well said. You said you 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 may gave me credence by quoting, uh, uh, agreeing with the Einstein's quote: "The 
problems have simple solutions if you want to do it that way. Ambassador Kapoor sahab, I mean, you are an ambassador. You have traveled all over the world. You have seen things from quarters that I have not seen. Uh, you have been privy to conversations and things like that. And that you've talked about the Western narrative that after they have done what they did, then they tell us, you don't do what we did. It's a very interesting narrative building the West does. You know, in my humble opinion, sometimes I say that Europe's two greatest contribution to world peace is giving two world wars, which were essentially <laughs> European conflicts. They were converted into a global war because the colonial powers where soldiers died in that entire scenario. I mean, so the question here is very simple. West has developed remarkably. And now they are saying, oh, my God, climate is changing. You guys are responsible for that because your development needs are the challenge. And I, I read some very touching statement coming from Africa when African leaders said that your pets live a better life than our children do. So for you to tell us about climate change and surrender our growth and development objectives, you have to help. And it was in this connection that the coal and fossil fuel are being attacked that Prime Minister Modi at COP26 COP made a statement that I commit to reducing emissions by 2030 and net zero by 2050 or 2070, provided you give us a trillion dollars to create an alternate source for sustainable power. Siddharthji talked about it. The other element which Siddharthji mentioned about was development aspect. According to the World Bank data, which I accessed was that China reduced rural poverty from an astounding number of 96% to 0.6% in 39 years. And between 1980 and 2019, it lifted 750 million people out of poverty through high sustained economic growth and making average Chinese 20 times, 24 times richer. If that's the data, that economic growth drives people away from poverty into wealthy, where does India fit in? We are a chaotic democracy. Everybody has a right to object to things. Nobody has the commitment towards the duty of it. Where does this dialogue fit in with specific reference to India's needs? Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Viputiji. And uh, thank you also to Dr. Siddharth. Um, I view it, you know, first in the historical perspective. Uh, what do I see? Uh, a large part of the world is uh, colonialized, including India, Africa, large parts of Asia, Latin America. And who are the colonizers? Countries of Europe mostly, including Britain, France, Spain, Portugal to some extent, and Holland. And what are they doing? They are taking the resources from their colonies and bringing it back to their own countries and piggybacking on it to become industrialized, to become advanced and to give a quality of life to their people, which is a, a good quality of life. And this has been happening, let us say, for between, let us say, approximately 100 years to 300 years in different 
colonies in different countries which have been colonized. So based on that, you are selling your end products and produce to those countries whom you have now rendered in a very hapless and helpless shape by doing this for you know centuries. And those countries, for example, the data on India, which I have, there is an article which came out in The Economist. Let me, you know, mention about this because it is put out by The Economist, which is not at all uh, known for its uh, sort of positive outlook on India, written by the International Monetary Fund and the Angus um, uh, Madison Foundation. Consultants also. So they have said that from the year uh, zero to the year 1000 the global gdp the net contribution into the global gdp by india in terms of purchasing power parity was one third of the global gdp from the year 1000 to 1500 it was about one fourth of the you know global gdp 25 percent 30 percent when the british came in it dropped to less than two percent and one percent and there are now studies which show that the loss to India for from the British colonization was more than 40 trillion dollars or much more than that. So you have sort of, you know, deprived all these countries of development by taking away the capacity for development, whatever capacities were there, reducing them and enriching yourself in the process. So today, sound, it sounds a little rich for these countries to say that, you know, uh, you have to reduce your development, economic development. So I have been lecturing a lot to students in the Western countries also and to the government officers in India holding workshops on climate change. And I call it the green versus growth dilemma. And it is something where uh, we have to ponder. The CBDRs came out of the 2015 uh, negotiation in the United Nations. The UNFCCC has been going on for a long time, UN Framework Convention on Climate Change, and the COPs have been going on for a long time. But at least finally, there was a concept of CBDRs, Common but Differentiated Responsibilities, which accepted this aspect that while their responsibilities are common, but they are still differentiated because of this historical evolution. The other aspect which I'll mention very briefly, I don't want to make it too long, is that, uh, you know, in the world, there is enough for everybody's need, but not enough for everybody's greed. I'm not saying this. The person who said this is Mahatma Gandhi. I'm just quoting him that there's enough for everybody's need, but not enough for everybody's greed. So when a solution which is equitable with equity and justice uh, would be a good idea. And that has, if we hark back to thousands of years in the Atharva Ved, what do we talk about? Prithvi Sukta, Bhumi Sukta, the ode to the earth. The, you know, saying that, uh, oh earth, we have to respect you, we have to protect you. So while it is incumbent upon all the countries of the world to, you know, INDCs are there, the concept of, uh, you know, intended nationally determined uh, contributions from a fixed contribution decided by the developed world for the entire world, etc., etc., which was not palatable. And India and China at that time were known as spoilers. I'm very happy that India has moved on to a very great leadership position 
in terms of green energy, international global solar alliance, etc. But we'll talk about that later. Thank you, Vibhuti. Thank you. Thank you. Siddharthji, ek sawaal pushna tha isme. I wanted to add to this what Pradeepji said. Uh, Mr. Kapoor said was the cost of uh, doing the entire thing. You know, I was looking at a data again from the World Bank because that's the most, you know, that's where you can gather supposedly uh, neutral data. We hear a lot about climate emergency, alarm, existential threat. We will die, our children, our grandchildren, you know, saving the life of those people. And it always triggers a thought in my mind. The total number of, as a percentage of GDP, the total uh, cost of controlling climate by 2100 is supposed to be 2.6% of the GDP of the world. That's not alarming. That's not an existential threat. That's something, that's not the end of the world scenario. Why is this kind of a drumming up of is being done? What is it that is driving the alarmist argument? Climate emergency, climate this, climate that. What is it that is driving? But there is a reality too. I mean, I lived in two beautiful cities in India, which were, in my opinion, the authentic air-conditioned cities in India, that is Pune and Bangalore. I mean, I was there for many years. We rarely ran a fan there. We never had to use fan. Today, you can't live there without these things. There is a definite reason. There has been a continuous movement of people, construction, and again, becomes a growth and development story. The development of uh, Bangalore and Pune, concentration of industries at the expense of not developing the hinterland. So where, where do we pin the problem? Where does the alarm come in? Why the politicians whom nobody trusts drive this agenda of alarmist in this matter? Well, if you go on to see the modus operandi of the Western countries, uh, their perception management is like that. First is creating a hype. One city that your hype has been created, then they start talking about that. This is how exactly we can go to suggest it. I'm just going to give you one example that is unrelated, but then related to environment. Eh? There used to be a leguminous crop in Bihar and Uttar Pradesh called as Kesari. Now, the Western countries wanted that. Eh? That should be substituted by chemical fertilizers. So what they did was, they said that Kesari consumption of it causes a lathrism, lathrism, lathrism. So much of hype eh, that ultimately the government eh, had to intervene about talking about eh, replacing a crop eh, which was responsible for eh, fixing nitrogen in the soil for the whole of the year. Imagine, no chemical fertilizer was required. Not at all, because uh, there is no crop like Kesari in the whole of the world which has uh, such a capability of fixing so much amount of uh, nitrogen. So that was ultimately replaced and India had to pay a price uh, by way of importing uh, 1 lakh crore of uh, chemical fertilizers at that point of time and which has been increasing, increasing to all our detriment. That is number one. That is how the West functions. Uh. The second is, uh, now these countries also go on to see that what will be the ultimate impact of climatic change, which is going to be sending alarm signals to them. The ultimate impact will be in the West itself. For example, let's say if Greenland ice melts, eh, 
then uh, the melting of this ice will go on to put so much amount of a cold water in the North Atlantic region in the Davis Strait uh, as well as in Greenland Strait uh, that uh, the whole of Canada will go to freeze and the half of United States will also go to freeze. So global warming will go on to be responsible for global cooling. That is one. That is sending alarm signals. India will not be too much amount of affected uh, largely because the people of India and tropical countries uh, are very resilient. You go to uh, allow them to live without food for three days, they will go to live without food. You go to raise the temperature, there is no electricity still, they will go to survive. West will not be able to survive any type of a change in their lifestyle. That is the second part. The third is uh, most of these Western countries, uh, of course, they dominate the whole of the world intellectually, saying that whatever that they are saying is going to be correct. Now, they have been holding on this status quo for a good amount of time. And that is not proving correct also to a large extent. That is, a, there is a going to be a doomsday all in all. And moreover, even if you're going to accept it, they're not going to be dispensing any money in this case at all. Because if, we, if, if they want to dispense money, and there is a third aspect. They also do not want that any country should go on to emerge as big as the Western European economies. So... You can imagine that they, the last of these economies have been that of Korea. Singapore, they allowed it. Korea, they allowed it. China, to an extent, they have made their own. But then they don't want that the whole of the world or any of these countries yeah, should go on to match the lifestyle, the so-called developed lifestyle, although it is not a developed lifestyle at all, of the Western countries. Yeah. Now, all of these four factors yeah, have got completely marred into each other. And that is the reason that they are raising up Hoopla. The last part is uh, that is they know that uh, they cannot go to survive with it uh, and uh, in due course of time other countries will also go to start developing and the cost may go on to increase. Uh, consequently, they are completely non-committal on the cost part. Imagine I have been the perpetrator. I have been the one who have been responsible for, uh, for uh, polluting the whole of the world and I don't want to uh, spend any amount of money I want it from uh, the other countries, particularly developing countries. Uh. That is, uh, in Hindi terms, it's called a pure Baniya Giri in this case. That is how I'm going to say it, Avibhuti Ji. <laughs> I, I, lo I love your uh, very blunt analysis, and I, I, I'm glad about that. But that's what the conversation I need to have, we need to have. Truth-telling must, uh, you know, must, must be made. Otherwise, what will happen is, you know, Ambassador Saab, occupies around with this particular thing that what he was, Siddharthi was saying, the Western desire to dominate. Now, I was reading somewhere else, you know, that uh, the acad academicians may have many definitions of the forms of government that are there around the world. Monarchy, capitalism, socialism, Marxism, libertarian, whatever, whatever, whatever. Name it any which way you want. But there is always a very small group of people who manage these governments. They are the ruthless, ambitious people represented in a Bond movie of a megalomaniac billionaire who wants to control the world. <laughs> right? How important is this narrative for the rest of the world to contest, given the fact that the rest of the world has suffered immensely? due to the colonial imposition, as if the world was divided by to benefit the European continent, 
Spanish, English, French, German, Russian, whatever it is. And they divided the world according to their convenience. And then they are still controlling it. How does this, how does the rest of the world contest that? What he talked about, jiski lati uski bhais kind of a thing, you know. It still continues in a more sophisticated manner, perhaps. And I will also add one more thing to this. My personal, you know, having encountered work with American banks and global finance, I have realized one thing is that whoever controls the narrative wins the argument. So here is a very simple example. Everybody is talking about global peace, but nobody is talking about not selling weapons. The five biggest countries that sell weapons to the world around are the five Security Council members. How, why should I trust them with the responsibility of global peace or global warming or whatever? Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, I'd just like to bring some amount of uh, sort of uh, you know, balance back into the discussion, firstly, about the climate change aspect. So you are already talking about there was imbalance. So go ahead. <laughs> you, are the, you are a diplomat, so you can bring the argument back. Uh, to the extent that uh, the impact of climate change will be felt, is being felt, and will increasingly be felt by each and every person in the world. The low-lying island states are massively threatened even to the extent of their own existence. We've been seeing it in terms of uh, big fires, you know, big uh, typhoons, hurricanes, uh, tsunamis, etc., which are all becoming many dimensions more than what the world was used to. So all that is part of the impact of climate change. So nobody can shirk their responsibility. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's why I mentioned about common but differentiated responsibility. It's a responsibility of the Western world and the advanced world to contribute in terms of financing and technology. And that has been accepted to some extent in principle by these countries also. But they are not delivering on their promises or on the expectations or the aspirations of the world. About controlling the narrative, uh, that is also, I would like to bring some balance to that in the sense that uh, it was a truism till maybe a few years back that the entire narrative was dominated, managed, controlled, imposed by the countries which had control of the media and which were prominently you know, able to manage the discussion and dialogue and outcomes. To the extent that the internet has expanded the capacity of the in, each individual has become an actor in the world. So for countries also to have a greater say in the narrative is also become a possibility now, even if they are uh, not developed countries. To the extent, for example, just as an example, the International Global Solar Alliance, which was announced by India in the uh, Paris uh, climate negotiations in partnership with the uh, French government and the United Nations. Now, the United States has also become a member. So I think there are about 120 countries which are members now. That is led by India. And that is going to be very impactful in this area of climate change. Yoga Day, International Day of Yoga. Again, you know, something very phenomenal, uh, benchmark, very great validation of the efforts of uh, 
India. So like that, the narrative has to be increasingly sort of contributed by the other countries also and accepted by the world. So that is essential. And how you have to do it is you have to see that uh, you keep on repeatedly continuing with your uh, you know, aspects in a positive manner and putting it out there all the time through all the media available to you. Unfortunately, some countries like China have gone to the other extreme of, um, you know, trying to influence the media in the wrong ways also, including the Western media and the Indian media. But I, we won't talk about that because you're not discussing that aspect. Uh, but to say that for the future, like Modi once made a statement, which I found very, very you know impactful. He said that if India has to do all this, it is essential for us to do it because I'm not seeing what the Western world is saying. I'm not, you know, looking at their narrative or their impositions or their expectations. I'm looking at the future generations of the world and of India, whether I am justified in leaving a world for them, which is devastated, depleted, degraded by climate change or whether I can contribute to a better world for the future generations by also contributing to manage climate change in a more professional manner. So that is the dilemma before us. We have to have development, definitely. The West has to share finances and technology because those finances and technology are not born out of the Western resources entirely. They are born out of all the resources of the world, particularly of countries like India and other countries over the world from which these resources were forcibly taken away and development was absolutely stunted. So now if you are in a position where you have the technology and you have the finance and the capital and the resources, it is absolutely justifiable for the rest of the world to demand a significant share of that. Thank you. Over to you. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, I, I totally find that very relevant about what you are talking about. Prime Minister Modi had given the clarion call at the International Solar Alliance Convention in Delhi, where I think he gave a wonderful new 21st century definition of Vasudeva Kutumbakam exactly. when he said, it is one earth, one sun, one grade, right? This is very important because generally people confuse uh, Vasudeva Kutumbakam as a family concept, you know, which is not, it's not true. It's about mother earth, its resources, same sun, same moon, same planet, same gravitational pull, different climatic zones and different climatic impact, right? So that was a very important message. But here is a challenge. And Siddharthji, coming to you again on this matter, you know what, uh, if we are talking about the future, which Prime Minister said and every politician talks about, we are doing this for our children and grandchildren. A major emotional appeal is made to people. But that's where the important part comes in that you are trying to control the earth warming to reduce within 2% by 2030, 2050, and whatever else. Why? There are many poor children who don't have access to clean water and food. What are we actually talking about here? How does, how does the so many poorer countries where children don't have adequate clean water? Europe talks about has become a champion of green. But people don't know that 71% of fossil fuels are consumed by EU. How hollow, why? I mean, we are educated people. We have access to information so we can question, we can ask. 
And it is incumbent upon us to ask, knowing what we know. But there are many parts of the world people don't know that element. There is so much significant poverty out there. How does one address the falsification of data? That's what I talk about. The politics and economics of it is critical. As a student of politics and economics, I know that they are both intertwined. Uh, you know, so that's where I'm trying to focus on what is driving the argument, political domination or economic need? It's both of them, Vibhutiji. Uh, it's, it's a domination uh, which uh, the Western countries have experienced uh, ever since uh, they colonized the whole of the world. Now, colonization basically means uh, that you are psychologically colonizing the whole of the world. Uh, when you come to control the minds of the people, then the people are colonized, uh, no matter whether you are going to physically present in that region or not, or if economic exploitation is taking place or not. That is number one. Second is, uh, you are very correct in saying that is, uh, if you're going to control the narrative, you control the politics of the world. Politics is about perception. And uh, any type of perception that the people build up, uh, people masses build up, uh, then that goes into build a public opinion, and it is this public opinion that goes into become a pressure on the government uh, of sorts. Uh. So it's a narrative. Any type of a narrative that they can go to seed, and they can go on to nurture, they can go on to fertilize, and they can allow it to grow, and they can go to allow it to the largest possible extent. Till that time, they will control the whole of the world. Most of these media agencies are a part of it. The third part is, as far as concern is concerned, then the last thing that the Western countries have is a concern for the people, concern for the planet, concern for the poorer, concern for the, for the concerns that are actually affecting the whole of the world. Had it been so, just imagine, these countries, $12 trillion, they use for the purpose of protecting themselves from COVID. And $100 billion is what exactly is required for committing themselves to climatic finance. And they are not doing it so. Now, that is a, an extreme amount of selfishness, you can go on to say. And this selfishness is born out of a, a culture, a civilization distortion of sorts. Because uh, you understand it better, Sanatan does not allow such type of a self-centric approach at all. Sanatan does not allow, I repeat for the second time, a self-centric approach at all. It talks about uh, what uh, 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 Mr. Pradeep Kapoor talked about, uh, that the whole of the world is yours. And that is what exactly India has been believing in. Now, they don't have such type of an intellectual uh, ability, I will go on to say, ability to understand that a self-centric approach does not go on to lead to the survival of the world. Why? Because uh, if anything goes wrong wrong with India, let's I go and just take a model. And that is responsible for bringing about a change in the a change in the altitude of the jet streams, eh? and which is responsible for breaking the polar vortex. Eh? Then eh? Texas will go. Uh, Texas, what is their experience today? Will go to experience almost every year, and the West knows that they can't go to handle so much amount of climatic aberration, largely because they don't have the ability to adjust themselves to that part. And now, no one knows it better than. Eh? Us, that most of the things that are being talked about by the West that is going to be so hollow. You took an example of arms race. You took an example of people talking about peace. You're going to take an example of a, 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 someone like a Greta Thunberg, whatever she is or it is, then 
she goes on to talk about pharma as a protest when she knows nothing about it yeah. it's all about setting a narrative it's all about changing the perception of the people a perception that the western countries can going to use for their own designs now or even in the future of south sir the last thing that they want is yeah, that is uh, the west that is uh, african countries coming to terms with uh, being uh, in an in a position uh, to challenge the supremacy of the west economy i'm not talking about development because development is a uh, completely multidimensional west is only growing because when they don't going to take care of the environment uh, then uh, it doesn't going to make it sustainable and unless uh, the development part is sustainable there is no development at all unless it is multidimensional there is no development at all and development has to be only holistic it cannot be confined to any single country so they are ruling it by their perception management exercises by setting their narrative because a large part of the world media is going to be favoring them but as far as logic is concerned logically that is not at all correct they they do think that logic can go on to help them win win countries and the whole of the world they forget logic helps you win over the situation not over the people <laughs> i like your assertion on the logic and the system very well said i i i i applaud you for being so open and very frank about it the other part which comes to my mind ambassador kapoor is the public perception of it you know you have been following the dialogue as a student of international geopolitics and uh, international banking where we see money flowing right what you know sometimes bothers you because you see things and then your conscience bites you your conscience doesn't allow you to do something is like uh, in my favorite movie enter the dragon even the villain says there is a line i won't go beyond you know so there is a line you can't go beyond it in 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 ramayan it is known as the famous i call it the lakshman rekha mm. you cross the line and you got to it this famously known as the red line by president obama in syria there are so many red lines people use that part of it my thing is very simple we used to talk about in banking when we do the financing of a company to bear in mind that in the long run we all are dead so, <laughs> so in the long run we all are dead and these people are talking about our present sacrifice for protecting the life of a grandchild whom i have not even known yet or many of us won't know yet and another 50 years i would suspect that we all would be gone so the question arises that why must i if i am not taken care of today how does it matter about my grandchild tomorrow so politicians use the grandchildren or the use of this word is as an emotional blackmail how fair is that i mean you it's a, it's an unwinnable argument people will call me how uncouth and and selfish am i that i'm not concerned about my grandchildren's life but i'm not talking about that i'm asking about how dishonest is that if i'm if i'm hungry if i'm affected my grandchild doesn't exist that's the issue that i'm talking about and the related to that is nobody is talking about taking things care of today by changing our food habit the meat consumption the beef consumption the amount of water they consume we know the numbers now that's the biggest advantage of technology that has happened 
if we have access to information that can't be taken away we know how much we talk about drinking water shortage and we are consuming water and there is by 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 hundreds of thousands of liters goes into manufacturing one pound of spec so there is an immediate impact of changing food habits which nobody wants to do and nobody wants to sacrifice today because the voluntary this requires voluntarism so government also prints the note it is we are paying for it how does one draw the balance since you talked about balance earlier how do we draw the balance between the rhetoric and reality and the calumny so uh, you know what i would say is that uh, as i discussed earlier uh, in the planet there is enough for everybody's need even currently it is not that people have to go hungry or people have to lose out on uh, a quality of life if there is some balance again uh, because and if there is too much of greed which we have seen and too much of materialism then to achieve that sort of uh, state of existence for the world is not very easy for the planet or for the inhabitants of the planet so how do you keep on insisting on this sort of narrative repeating this narrative and you know demanding greater equity and social justice for the populations of the world not just for some countries or the others even in terms of what uh, you know dr siddharth mentioned about the pandemic for example the expenditures which have happened so these sort of things need to be highlighted continuously to and put it out there on the face that you know this is what is happening is it justified is it the correct way to go ahead for the world how do we go ahead together in a joint manner so that the entire world benefits because some countries in the western world are also repeating that famous you know quotation now that uh, in terms of the pandemic also no one is safe till everyone is safe so those sort of statements need to be understood by the world at large it's a very uh, high expectation it's very sort of esoteric in a way but till we aim for something which is like uh, you know aiming for the moon we are not going to be there any way uh, otherwise and i mean geopolitics wise geoeconomics wise the damage which has been done already by the pandemic for example and by climate change uh, and the damage which will be done by climate change as we go ahead will be far far greater than what we can even imagine today so for them to understand like uh, dr siddharth said that the impact will be probably uh you know far greater on the advanced countries of the world and it will be there for everybody in the world but maybe to a slightly lesser extent so the greater sacrifices not sacrifices contributions is not sacrifice because as i explained earlier the contributions and the expectations of the world are there developing world are there and those need to be absolutely looked into seriously in a manner which is time bound so that initially about i think 5 years back 6 years back the discussion was that 500 billion dollars will be committed by the western world towards managing climate change for the rest of the world developing countries now where are those 500 billion dollars how much has been committed how much has been placed how much has been spent 
how much has been utilized all those questions have to be asked so that once some sort of you know initial proposal is made how do you convert that into a decision and how do you convert that into an implementation is where we have to go from here on thank you that was a very nice point uh, given suggested by you that uh, pledging 500 billion dollars is a pledge we know you don't have to keep your pledge <laughs> as the famous saying goes but india itself has proposed now has demanded a trillion dollars alone yes. leave aside before the world part of it and it will be it is is going to be a conversation serious conversation otherwise it's not happening even the cop 26 was you know agreement was arrived at a later stage towards the closing and boris johnson declared his frustration that it was not satisfactory because conflicting needs arise and that's what is important in a in a world driven with strife and concern so the, what is important here is what perception drives the whole thing i think there is more to it east india company siddharth ji had mentioned that politics and economics both go together but east india company came as a trading company and became a british empire so the seeds of the british empire in india and colonization of india so it is very important as we say in geopolitics if you want something happen 30 years down the line you start taking the steps today <clears throat> so there is definitely something driving the agenda i would come to one last item that uh, how does uh, you know how does the leadership of the climate change they all jet around there in expensive fuel consuming jets around and they wear expensive clothes and mink and things like that we see no sacrifice made by them but they want you and i to sacrifice that i find really objectionable so siddharth ji your parting word on this particular issue the reality and the perception how much is fake and how much is honest to put it very bluntly we both is it's true yes it's completely <laughs> Uh, and uh, i talked about intellectual colonialism that is uh, what the west goes on to enjoy is uh, if they go on to set an agenda if they go on to be having an agenda if they want the whole of the world to believe in something uh, they make it sure that the world believes in it if the world doesn't want to believe in it uh, then uh, that is a uh, almost like a degradation of the brand of the west that means you are not accepting it that is one part the second is a uh, is fake largely to an extent eh, that eh, all the deeds with respect to climatic change eh, and all the deeds with respect to actions eh, they have lot of mismatch for example i'll just going to let you know the biggest danger to warming of the ocean waters eh, is going to be in the arctic region now i tell you what will happen in the arctic region as the temperatures in the arctic region going to increase eh, all of those calcareous shells of the organism will going to get dissolved because of the temperature now as they going to dissolve and as the ice melts then ice is the greatest reservoir of carbon dioxide and they will release carbon dioxide the second carbon dioxide is released by the calcareous shells the amount of emission that will going to take place is simply mind blowing simply mind blowing no one has ever talked about it because the west has a control over the information and because they can go to just that information because they can allow the information to flow to stream flow also in this case 
that's why they always going to use a selective information in this case eh, to determine the public opinion also how how exactly is it that the research is going to be driven in the whole of the world unless we know the truth the truth is i'll going to let you know the bare truth the truth is eh, you going to follow a minimalistic lifestyle a minimalistic living and the essence of minimalistic living is going to be in sanatan nowhere else because you can go to control everything the west you will also agree has never seen the type of development that india has seen it from 4th century bc to 12th century ad for almost like 1400 years there was no country that can ever go to match india in terms of gdp in terms of demeanor in terms of growth in terms of aura in terms of anything possible still india was very respectful towards its environment that was largely because of this minimalistic lifestyle and minimalistic living that was a product of its culture religion and civilization civilization is all about respecting your environment if you are not respecting your environment you are not civilized and also civilization is all about justice justice is not in law justice is not in rhetoric justice is all about how we treat each other and how we treat our environment so the world is devoid of justice and it is devoid of a civilization at least in some spheres thank you last word on this matter pradeep ji ambassador kapoor sahab <coughs> is uh, what must india do and as as the saying goes knowing what we know india has a population of 1.3 billion china controlled its population through its one child policy which had different social impact in terms of the girl boy ratios but they controlled now they have relaxed what must india do i mean we are we are the privilege i would say god's gift of being a region and a land where nature has been kind with weather factor us you know that united states spends more than 50% of its energy for cooling and heating yeah. uh, you know things like that alone otherwise we will perish india has the unique advantage what must trigger a self sustained change is in my opinion harnessing the solar energy which india is abundant of and allowing innovation to take place government must invest and allow people like you siddharth ji and other scientists to develop india's model of solar development even india we are dependent upon western technology i'm saying in my opinion and i would want your final word on it two things india needs to do is to encourage a uh, significant innovation with government support that's where us developed they pumped in lot of money in research here and innovation and the second one is we got to control the population i look at it from this point of view <laughs> today the world had 4 billion people we won't be caught talking about climate change because earth resources won't be depleted there won't be so much co2 and we won't be having this conversation so what must india do now for india alone so uh, you know first aspect is that if i discuss about uh, the uh indcs for example what did india do india kept on highlighting the fact that you cannot impose decisions as final decisions on the world particularly the developing world so what happened instead of saying 
that 2% greenhouse gas emission reduction has to take place within so many years. The world completely had to turn it around to the Indian proposal that you have to make an, an intended contribution and a nationally determined contribution by each country, not by a superimposition by the Western world or the advanced countries or others. So that's something which India has to continue talking about it in terms of the solutions for it, in terms of technology, in terms of finance. Second aspect, initially you had climate change being discussed with between the scientists. Then the technologies came on, then the civil society, then the media, etc., etc. It took a very long time for the executive, the governance, the, the governments and the bureaucrats to get involved and then for the leadership to get involved, the political leadership. But even as late as 2015, the segment which was making the biggest contribution to pollution and climate damage, the industry was not involved. It was only in 2015 at the United Nations that all these players were put on the table, which I mentioned. And thereafter, the industry started taking a slightly active role. Otherwise, they were just sponsoring studies, which kept on saying there is no climate change. That was all they were doing and hiding behind those studies. But you have to see who are the main culprits in the Western world, particularly, and what are the technologies which are going to help. It's not that these technologies will only come out of the West. The countries which are developing have great capacities to do innovation and create new technologies also. So you have to contribute towards that. The International Global Solar Alliance proposed by India is one such phenomenal example of leading from the front. So how do you firstly define a narrative? How do you continue to propagate that narrative and how do you get that narrative accepted globally and implemented is where India has to uh, lead from the front. Even if you, to the extent that if you have to ask for a complete sort of change in the go global governance, if United Nations has to go because of all the problems of uh, the United Nations Security Council, for example, with the veto powers of these five countries and create a new body like just like after the World War II, uh, the leadership of the world decided that the League of Nations was no, no longer able to deliver on its promise or its expectations and was rubbished and trashed. So if that has to be done, to that extent, India has to move, saying that, okay, WHO has failed to deliver, United Nations has failed to deliver. Uh, we need new bodies for these aspects. World Bank needs to be changed. If it can change, it is good. If it cannot change, then create a new body for that also. Etc. So that's where India's uh, future uh, actions would be. Very encouraged to hear these words from you, Ambassador, because yes, the world bodies need to change. The body is rotting, as I call it. Uh, you know, the United Nations is a dysfunctional group of people where no decision is made. People spend more time on where the comma has to be used and where the full stop has to be used, and they play with words. This is a fascinating conversation, an honest conversation. I liked Siddharthi's bluntness and bringing you, you bringing all the things to the balance part of it. I said that. I wanted to also talk about the climate of politics in India right now because of the repeat of farm bill, but we will converse on that a little later. Ambassador, I, I owe you another conversation because you are a prolific author and both of you have done an outstanding work. Uh, 
this is a serious conversation. Most of the time, people want to talk about only politics because that's hot. But you have authored a great book on healthcare and health-related issue post-pandemic. That's a crucial conversation to have. And we will have it in the near future very shortly. And uh, welcome to the show again. Thank you, viewers. Subscribe, like, and share. These are serious conversations, and we must have that. So, ladies and gentlemen, as I always say, Satyamev Jayate, thank you for being with us, Siddharthji, and Ambassador Prapuni Kapoor. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Such a pleasure to be on this show and, uh, you know, share uh, some of these aspects uh, with your listeners also. And look forward to continuing to contribute to your channel in the future. Thank you very much, Siddharthji. You are welcome. Thank you. It has been enjoyable, as well as an enormous amount of a learning experience interacting with this August group. Thank you so much for the privilege. Thank you again. Thank you again. Thank you. Please stay until the studio closes. Press the bell icon on YouTube and don't miss another update.